African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Channel Africa, The African Perspective. You're listening to African Dialogues. Well, today we're at the first ever Africa Shared Value Conference, which is being held here in Santon. And uh, I have to say, happy Africa Day, everyone. And uh, I know that this is a day we can celebrate our Africanness. And here we're looking at a very different aspect of things, which is uh, business. And we're looking at this uh, definition here that everyone is fascinated about here, which is shared value. Now, this is actually the first shared value uh, summit, uh, as I mentioned, and uh, it is really aiming of raising awareness and advocacy, advocating for the success of the strategic implementation of the shared value business model. The shared value initiative was launched by a consulting firm, uh, FSG, and Professor Michael Port in 2012. Now, this inaugural 2017 Africa Shared Value Summit is modeled on the successful Shared Value Leadership Summit held in annually in New York. Now, shared value is a management strategy in which companies find business opportunities and social problems. We'll unpack that with our guests uh, who are with us right here at the outside broadcast. We've got uh, uh, Sazini Moshapilu, who is uh, the group head of corporate citizenship at Barclays Africa. Thank you for joining us. And uh, thank you as well to Akiva Abibi, who is uh, the regional director in Sub-Saharan Africa uh, for Center of uh, uh, Creative leadership that center for uh, creative leadership in sub-saharan africa thank you both for giving us your time it's fantastic to be speaking to you and uh, sazin let's start with you in terms of this definition shared value what are we really talking about i know uh, some of these terms become very popular at a certain uh, trajectory in time maybe in business models and this is probably something that's really fresh and new when it comes as a business concept we, we spoke about in my intro the fact that it started in 2012 but practically how does it look in terms of implementing this shared value model mm. thank you for that question and uh, good morning to the listeners um, well I'm from the Barclays uh, Africa Group Limited and we, over the last couple of years, have been on a journey, mm. moving away from corporate social responsibility, grant-making, and philanthropy, mm. and starting to look at how we can make the social agenda a key part of what we do as a business. Mm. And in line with that, we investigated the shared, creating shared value model, and based on what we saw, we realized that it's, it can be an integral part of our management strategy, mm. and we have, therefore, developed key focus areas for ourselves as a mm. business, and it has become an integral part of who we are mm. and the way we do business as Barclays Africa across the continent. Mm. So how does that look practically? I mean, when you actually implement programs or you start an initiative or you embark on a project, how does it actually look like on the ground? Give us a little bit of some of the examples that Barclays Africa mm. is embarking on. Well, because uh, shared value is a management and business strategy, mm. its first focus is internally. Mm. So internally as an organization, we have shifted our culture and our focus mm. and the way we do business to start looking at our customers and clients as a key part of our communities and the growth mm. that we would want to see. Mm. We have a mantra that we developed internally to say, as society prospers, we grow, and as we grow, society prospers. Mm. And that 
basically is looking at other intrinsic value that we can give and extract from the communities. But we've gone a step further to say beyond just working with the communities, want to add value into the work that they do. But we've started looking at them as a key stakeholder in the work and the products and services that we are doing. And looking at how we can develop products reconstruct our value chains, look at the different markets we're operating in and see how we can make a meaningful contribution. Maybe I'm digging a little bit more, Susan. I need you to be very specific in terms of, because the person on the ground is listening to us and says, I hear what you're saying, that you're working with ordinary citizens and you're trying to incorporate the community culture even within the framework of, of your business. But practically, give us those examples of what people can expect, especially from Barclays initiatives that actually show us that you are actually embarking on, on, on this kind of model? So our shared growth strategy, mm. uh, we, we, give, we give expression to it in three ways. Sure. We have identified three key strategic areas mm. that we believe we can make the most meaningful impact. Mm. Education and skills being the sure. first, mm. enterprise development the second, and the last is financial inclusion. Mm. We believe that by channeling our resources, our assets, and our focus in these three areas, mm. we can actually make a meaningful contribution to our economies that we as a bank operate in. Mm. And if I can take liberty to speak or to, our, to our education and skills portfolio, sure. we have four work streams that we have developed. And these initiatives focus on the youth cohort. Mm. And we are looking at how we can best create a youth value proposition mm. that helps them from a banking perspective lifestyle and education mm. and in the education space we've got a program that we call ready to work which basically supports young people with that transition from the world of school into the world of work mm. and we developed that one because when we, as a large corporate with the scale that we have in south africa and across the continent when we employ young people who are the majority of the workforce we have we find that they are not productive in the first three to six months mm -hmm. And by so doing, we developed a free online curriculum that can support them with the work skills, people skills, money management and entrepreneurship skills that they need to be able to land effectively within the workplace, but also to explore entrepreneurship if that is the self-employment path they want to take. We also have a scholarship initiative which supports access to education for university students. In South Africa, that's a very key and topical area where we've seen student protests across the, the country. Mm -hmm. And we decided that access to education is a very integral part for that group of people. Mm -hmm. And we made the single largest contribution as a corporate to supporting 2,000 students in 2016 to get back into education. And we found that actually most of the young people we supported were going to be financially excluded, not academically excluded. So they are well-deserving students, but struggle to get education. And we want to make sure that in supporting that demographic dividend, we make a meaningful contribution into our, into our future. Well, let me come to you, um, Akiva, in terms of this idea of that shared value. It's, it's pretty fresh, it's pretty new, uh, because uh, we're used to this idea when it comes to businesses, um, uh, social uh, corporate services departments that are very much centered around doing social development. What makes this kind of model uh, different to what we already know, uh, this kind of uh, social um, you know, responsibilities that um, companies are usually, um, you know, get into because some people are very even skeptical about that. Should we be excited about shared value? 
So the, the big challenge we have is as soon as you say shared value, so immediately it triggers in most corporates that this is another CSI initiative. Sure. And, and generally, if we look across the globe in terms of CSI initiative really driving economic sustainability, mm. it unfortunately hasn't, it hasn't produced the goods, right? And, and I, think, I think we're mature enough in the market to kind of realize that. Mm. And the challenge is when we use a word like shared value, it, it has a whole lot of implications to what people think it is. And the question is, what, what is it not? <laughs> Maybe yeah, firstly, yeah, you should start yeah. there. So what it's not, and to the point that we were saying earlier as well, it's not it's not some CSI initiative or philanthropic initiative, mm. and specifically it's not something where you have a CEO, for example, running a very profitable organization, and suddenly good business practice is now taken second drive mm. in order to drive his social agenda. Mm. Right? That is definitely what it's not. What it is it? It's good business. It's, and good business means the way that you engage your staff, the way you engage your employees, the way you engage your clients in the marketplace. You know, do you have a social contract? Do you, have your, do you honor your contracts? Mm. Do you put products in the market which are beneficial to society in the long term? Mm. Um, and, that's, and, and really what's, what's interesting is if, if that is the value we're talking about, mm. then the question is, as a business in a market that's gone through radical changes, which we've seen very, very quickly in a very short amount of time, digital has done that to us. What's happened is all the traditional ways of how you engage a market are no longer as relevant, mm. and sometimes they're completely irrelevant. Mm. So what businesses are realizing today is there's a new equation mm. of how you create value in the market. Because mm. you know, suddenly we're in a market today where there's what we call a transparency, mm. meaning that you can go on a Twitter and suddenly start complaining about my organization, meaning that my product suddenly has social value mm. And which is way beyond my control. Sure. So, so when those control mechanisms are gone and your clients are this massive collective and they can actually Im- impact quite drastically your product and, and how it's valued on the stock exchange, for example, where tw- Twitter feed, for example, can completely wipe <laughs> you out. So what, what forward-thinking executives are realizing and marketing people are realizing is that, is that we need to now come back to the our understanding of what economic success means. Mm. So what are these values? And we've got to be very clear. We're not talking about some wishy-washy, let's hold hands and sing songs. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a much better economic value system. And, uh, and, and for me, the, the, the biggest resource scarcity that every senior executive has that I work with is one key value. And what's that value? Is what is most valuable to every single human being in the world today where you have so much coming at you, yeah. and that is what you pay attention to. Yeah. What is valuable? Where do you put your time? Where do you yeah. put your energy? When you're in a market of too much, as consumers or as, as CEOs, the challenge that we have is a challenge of where do you focus your attention? And I think it's probably the biggest battle going on in the global economy today, and it will define your success yeah. or your failure. And if you don't know what to value and don't know how to attribute your attention to that value, you'll fail. Well, that's interesting because, you know, the, the major criticism of this could be the fact that, uh, uh, you know, 
is it going to be difficult now with this shared value? Because now the social responsibility is so much incorporated into the philosophy or the kind of the framework of, of the business model. Will it be difficult, uh, Sazin, in terms of holding um, businesses, large corporates to account to social services? Because now almost these social responsibility are kind of tailored within their business framework. Say, I would venture to say no. It mm. actually um, moves us away from extracting value to adding value. Okay. In South Africa in particular, there is a very strong regulatory environment mm. that makes sure that as corporates we spend a particular 1%, for example, towards socioeconomic development. Mm. So it drives beyond just sticking to the regulatory to start looking at it from mm. adding more value towards what you're doing. Sure. So if, as a large bank... If I look at our value today, we would spend X amount towards uh, socioeconomic development. But because it's been part of our core business lines and it's driven by the business units, and we're starting to look at the social needs that we have in our communities as key opportunities for us to create a, not only um, commercial value, but we can also create meaningful social value within that. The amount of resources that we spend from our own infrastructure, our own expertise as a business where we can play advisory role and we can mentor, coach and support young people, but also mentor and coach SMEs. We are beginning to move away from just ticking the box from a regulatory spend to making sure that is an integral part of our value chains, an integral part of our product design and development. So if you now put value, commercial value or financial value to how we are de- delivering shared growth, it gets into billions because it, it ceases to be a regulatory tick boxing exercise but becomes an integral part of how we run our business and how we contribute to our customers, our clients, and the various stakeholders that are part of our communities. And so how do you make sure, uh, Kiva, that that is done in a very much kind of social appropriate manner? How do you make sure that it is people-centric, that you're not just starting uh, social conscious tailor-made programs or packages or products that are completely not actually in line with the challenges on the ground? So, I mean, I I think it's been mentioned here already that that we want to move away from a tick box. Mm. So the tick box is, you know, we have a responsibility as an organization to be socially good. Tick, we've done it. Sure. Um, So what happens when your leaders in your organization move away from what you said earlier about extracting mm-hmm. and, r- and moving from what we'd call a classic transactional way of how you do business. Mm-hmm. We go in, transact, extract as much money as we can from our specific clients and rather move into a thing of how do we actually transform mm-hmm. within a society because if we transform, there's much more value mm-hmm. to be created there in terms of economic value and also human value. And it also means that you reduce your risks in your market because if you've got a market where you've got more socio-political stability, mm-hmm. it's, it's a much better market to be in. So where we're seeing some of the big banks, for example, move into is they, they realize that you know, you know, what we used to do in the past is it, was, it wasn't the job of your senior executives to get involved in this. Mm-hmm. It was a procurement issue, social investment and all that kind of stuff. The difference here, what we're talking about is is what happens when your senior executives are saying, how do we actually solve societal problems? Mm. Now, that's a very different question. And what always interests me is with any human being you talk to, 
the kind of questions you ask determine who you are and determine the direction you're going in. So the moment you start seeing senior executives and board executives starting to ask a very different type of question, they're going, could we create value in a community? Could we solve a societal problem? And, and yes, we'll make a lot of money along the way, but really that starts to become a real question and they actually align their resources and they prioritize their strategic drivers and the cap- capabilities in the organization to actually drive that. Mm-hmm. That's a very different reality and that's, that's, and that, that's why the challenge is as soon as you say shared value, mm-hmm. again, the, it's very closely related to CSI, mm-hmm. which this is not. CSI was, was very seldom you had your board of directors mm-hmm. actively involved in it. Mm-hmm. Like here what we're seeing is we're seeing the people who have the vision of the organization mm-hmm. actually saying, hey, this is actually where we will create value. Not in some do-gooder, nice, let's hold hands way, but really in something significant which really helps our social contract in a society where all the rules of the game, again, the rules of the game are different. Technology has made us transparent. As a CEO, you have to be digital. You know, A lot of CEOs today, if they're not digitally engaged or aware, they can make some horrible mistakes which really affect your share price. Mm. And I think that's part of the social contract. And before I let you go, Susan, because I know you have to get back in, is, is the fact that, you know, where someone like me who's just a normal, ordinary citizen would say, is the real interest the, the community or is it just a different way of finding a need where you can kind of direct your energies to get a, set, a certain customer base? And maybe the pessimistic side of me would be like, hmm, maybe that's just a new way of profit making. I think um, that's a very good question. And, and, and it is a valid question because if you look at creating shared value, it does have commercial return sure. and a social impact. But the real focus of our shared growth strategy is making a sustainable, meaningful impact mm. in our communities. We can spend the same amount of money yeah. in handing over a check and ticking the box and walking away. Mm. But taking the step to involve our assets, our infrastructure, our colleagues, and our products, and looking at how we're providing services to you Mm. is a completely different approach. Mm. We actually spend more focusing on how we can make your life better Mm. and more meaningful and create the right level of impact versus giving money and walking away. So I think for me, as rightfully mentioned, it is a different management strategy. Mm. It is not CSI, it's not CSR, it's a management strategy Mm. that looks at how we can re-engineer ourselves as a business to start looking at the customer first, looking at our stakeholders first, our communities first, and saying, to be part of this community, what does it mean for us and how do we engage in that community meaningfully? Mm. If you look at our impact today, I don't think one can take away the fact that we've trained 200,000 young people and we're placing 10,000 young people. We've taken 2,000 young people to school. We've supported small businesses. We've raised 1.3 billion to support small businesses in our value chain. Yes, those are numbers, but they're an impact to that SME who would not have otherwise received the opportunity. And do we support them? Do we bank them? Not necessarily. But we actually give back to our economies by making sure we make that impact. Do we absorb the 2,000 students? 
No, we don't. Yeah. We actually contribute those 2,000 students, whether they are CAs or actuarial scientists, back into our economy and make sure that they can uh, drive their country forward. Mm. Well, uh, thank you so much for giving us your time. That's the voice of Sazini Mojapilu, who is the group head of corporate citizenship at Berkeley's Africa. I'm going to take a quick break. I'll stay with you, uh, Akiva Bibi, in terms of uh, uh, what you do in terms of the futuristic elements maybe we could look at that because you're a bit of a futurist and then uh we'll we'll come back after this break you're listening to channel africa the african perspective uh, thank you for joining us right here at this particular summit we right here at the Santin convention center let's take a quick break we'll be back with more conversation this is channel africa south africa's international radio station on shortwave internet and satellite listen to channel africa in english kiswahili french silozi portuguese and chinyanja nam kwenye line ya simu hivi sasa najiunga moja kwa moja farafina farafina terre du soleil Kia Makande Mvalelwa Kina Miriam Estana companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de Renascença Africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sochitika Mu África. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Yes, Channel Africa giving you the African perspective. You're listening to African Dialogue. Remember, from Monday to Thursday, we bring you the big conversation, bring experts to really look at big topics that are taking place on the African continent. Uh, if you're listening to us on our shortwave service, we're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. That's our main service into Sub-Saharan Africa. And on DSTV, we're on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Uh, don't forget, you can also listen to us online on our website, www www.channelafrica.co.za Well, today we're right here in the action at uh, the first ever Africa Shared Value Conference on the continent. It's held right here in Santon, South Africa, not so far away from our Johannesburg studios in Auckland Park. And we're speaking to uh, the delegates here and the experts really about what is this Africa Shared Value? Is it to the interest of ordinary people like you and me. Now we're joined by Dr. Sarah Saeed Kuram, who is a co-founder and chief executive officer of Seat Kehani. Did I say that correctly, Doctor? Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Tell us a little bit about Seat Kehani. What is it? Um, so Seat Kehani in Urdu means a story of health. Um, in my native language, it's called Seat Kehani, but in English it means story of health. Mm. And essentially what we're trying to do is... Um, there are a large number of female doctors back where I come from in Pakistan who don't work after marriage or responsibilities and 50% of the medical workforce back in Pakistan is females but only 23% come back that's a huge gap in healthcare that we see in Pakistan um, on the other hand in countries like Pakistan and other developing countries um, 51% of people in my own country do not get basic access to healthcare that means they don't have doctors in their villages or their communities to go to when they fall sick 
Um, so what we are trying to do is in these low-income communities, we're trying to get these female doctors from their home, from their cultural sensitivities, mm -hmm. finding a way through technology that they can be connected to these clinics mm -hmm. using video technology and teleconferencing. Um, so we set up clinic in low-income communities. We, we build the capacity of a nurse in those clinics. We teach her technology, patient protocols, software. And then we connect her to an online doctor who's sitting anywhere in the world as long as she's qualified to provide consultations to patients. And she does not have to get out of her house or her cultural barriers to do that. Um, so in a way, bridging the health gap burden that exists in Pakistan and I'm sure a lot of developing countries using technology innovation by using the existing healthcare force that it, that is present in those communities doing wonders in their levels. Oh, that's fantastic. I think after hearing that, I think Beclays has some work to do. <laughs> but in, in terms of, of that, you know, how did you actually come to that realization that this idea of philanthropy, which it is philanthropy, we can kind of say it's not, but practically it's, it's not the typically styled philanthropy, but it is a form of philanthropy that we're talking about. How did you see this kind of initiative actually linking kind of your professionalism to kind of your business model to the fact of making social impact? Sure. So I'm a female doctor myself, mm -hmm. and there was a point in my life where I couldn't work. Uh, I was enrolled in one of the best residency programs in my own country, but I conceived and I had a baby. And my institution did not have a maternal policy for me to come back to that course after two years. Um, and that just hit me with the realization that there are almost 60,000 doctors in Pakistan who, because of these issues or other issues, having families or primary responsibilities of marriage, do not come back into the, into the medical workforce. And... There are doctors like me who want to serve, who, who did become a doctor to serve the ones in need. And how can we innovatively and bending the barriers a bit do that in a similar fashion? Um, telemedicine in Pakistan or developing countries, it's not a new phase. It's been going on since years. However, how people fail is that people take it as a charitable project rather than a sustainable business model. And I think that is with Sehat Kahani, we did differently. Um, we charged our services. We made a business model around the services that we gave in the communities. So every service that's being taken care in the clinic is charged. And we developed four revenue streams in the form of consultations, laboratory, ultrasound, and ph pharmacy and dispensary that makes the clinic sustainable on its unit structure. So if we see 600 patients per clinic per month, it gives us the capacity to pay the nurse, to pay the doctor, and to keep some revenue for the, for the company to make it sustainable. And we need 18 such clinics to reach that break-even point, and we have nine clinics right now. So we are halfway there. Um, saying that, we coupled it up with preventive health portfolio that allows organizations, big organizations like Engro, Lifeboy, Nestle, to use our channel as a medium for doing social awareness in low-income communities and essentially allowing us to do the grunt work for them. So in huge organizations, there is lack of innovation. And we fill that gap of innovation for them, providing them with innovative ways to market their products, but with a swing of health awareness or education. Um, I think the answer to that question is that every, pro every business is profitable mm -hmm. and can create social impact. You just have to create that innovation in your model that allows both. Mm. And w what I like about your st the story of, of Dr. Kuram Akiva is the fact that it comes from her kind of personal need as a, as a professional.
and she kind of tailor-made that not according just to the needs of the final um, impact but also as the source of that innovation and it's interesting to see the fact that it's not only fulfilling the need of uh, the community itself but also the kind of also the the need of the innovator yes i mean innovation is a very topical word today obviously because i think all industries are faced with massive radical change Mm. and therefore they need to think differently they need to experiment differently and and i think the the story that dr sarah brings across is 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 a great one because it really what it brings across is one of my favorite quotes by mike tyson he's a boxer where he said you know everyone's got a great plan until they get punched in the mouth (laughs) (laughs) right and that's and that's that's the reality The, Mm. the thing is people come with great ideologies and great theories and great models um but with a story like Dr. Sarah, what happens in life is sometimes life hits us Mm. and all your theories and models and ideologies suddenly fall to pieces. Why? Because they're very, they're very Mm. non-fluid. Often, you know, ideological people can be very fixated on a specific thing. Sure. Life is much more interesting and more complicated than one little specific ideology or model for that Mm. matter. Mm. And I think the more stories we have of this, where where people sort of rise from within the system, from within the country, within their own personal challenge, mm. but then elevate it, which is which is why I like the story so much. Elevate it to something which is much more, much more inspiring. And inspiring why? Because one of the big challenges we've had with a lot of CSI initiatives and NGO and philanthropic initiatives, and a lot of the big development agencies had this, these problems for a long time was that when you have a mindset that's the sort of do-gooder mindset mm. versus a professional mindset, often it creates a second-rate type of professionalism, mm. right? In fact, often a lack of professionalism. So, so you don't have that consultative mind. You're not mm. looking as a, as a very frugal, discerning businessman mm. what really works. Now, the more stories we have of this, of people coming in that have projects which have a societal difference, but they're looking at it with, with eyes of a business. In other words, very frugal, very consultative, very professional. So I'm not going to give you a second-rate product just because it's nice. I'm going to give you the best. And, and we are seeing more of those. And obviously, that's really where the opportunity lies, in the new landscape that we're all entering into now together. Technology has opened up incredible opportunities, but it, it really means stories like this. You can really get inclusivity of women who otherwise would have been on the wayside. Sure. And and what I really love with this story, like with like with others I've come across as well, is is it just takes one, one person who really feels that pain, who mm. says, I'm not gonna sit on the side and wait for someone else. Mm. And that stepping up mm. can suddenly motivate and get a cluster of other people around you who actually already share that value with sure. you. And that's that's we're hoping more of those stories will get seeded here at this conference and yeah. over the next few years. And Dr. Kram, it's very interesting that you know your innovations are kind of centered around technology, and you know, in, uh, probably Pakistan has the same kind of challenges as the African continent, and the mobile phone in those developing countries is almost like a very central kind of um, instrument and tool to 
create gaps when it comes to those inequalities that we see in those kind of, of societies, especially in the in the pockets of poor uh, areas in, in, in that. Let's look at the future because Akiva is here. I can't have Akiva without speaking about the future. But in terms of the technologies that we currently um, experimenting on. I know applications are the big thing in the last two, three, four years. Everyone is speaking about apps, apps, apps. What's your projection in terms of looking at the shared value um, model? Where things we can take in terms of the future? So, where I come from, um, applications are big, mm-hmm. but they are for a segment of a society that can either afford a smartphone or okay. use it very eloquently or is yeah. educated enough. Yeah. Majority of the people that I work with uh, don't own an, a smartphone. They okay. use, still use feature phones. Okay. Um, so when we build technology, right. when we build an innovation, we take care that those people are not excluded. Sure. And I'm sure it is the same in this part of the world yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, they were just talking about financial inclusion, inclusion through e pesa and a huge reason why it's not happening even in Pakistan, in our part of the world, is because people do not own that technology in their phones right now. Um, so as the future goes, I think we, we, we focus too much on technology and not on capacity building of people who actually have to take it forward. Okay. So in my in my line of work, um, there are nurses, there are community mobilizers, there are volunteers in communities who make the product used by the people who are living in the communities. Until we train them, until we build their capacity, until we empower them, the change is not going to happen. So if you have to filter your future, technology is a huge part of it. I'm very passionate about it. That is the only way I provide healthcare in communities that are remote and rural. But I also feel that you cannot transform a country, mm. you cannot transform a region until you transform its workforce as well. Mm. And if you don't do it right now, millions of people are going to lose their jobs and we're going to have a shortage of manpower and a shortage of funds and inequality is going to grow even more. So if I see the future, I see technology, but I also see capacity building of people along with building that technology. And that is the only way you can create profit for purpose. Yeah. Um, in my in my in my opinion. Okay, but I like that um, the doctor is actually now kind of also bringing kind of making this a more complex um, question because she's bringing that human element in kind of how do we actually deal and kind of deal with each community and tailor make even our uh, shared value projects to those particular communities. For me, it makes things complicated, especially for the bigger the bigger corporates. So just. I mean, the, the point you brought up, I think, which is, which is a very important one. Mm. So Klaus Schwab is the chairman of the World Economic Forum. Mm. And, and one, of the, one of the things he talks about in this rapidly changing world mm. that he foresees with all the corporates he talks to that capitalism will be consumed or superseded by something he calls talentism. Okay. And talentism goes really back to your point, Doctor, which is, which is really around that the investment in people mm. right is is going to be the next big equation of how we unlock economic and human potential mm. within countries and societies and and you know remember the classic capitalism model was essentially it was very much had the mindset of an extraction model you go in there extract as much mm. as you can make sure your shareholders are very happy etc and it 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 kind of worked for a very limited period but it wasn't sustainable mm. So the, the next iteration is really, you know, what happens when you have incredible imbalances in your society mm. and 
you do have the technology and ability to to really invest into people and the people on the ground like the doctor mm. who can actually solve problems much better than anybody else mm. so there are a whole lot of us around the world who are really looking into this quite seriously you know how do you use artificial intelligence how do you use machine learning how do you use you know the best experts etc mm. to help you identify who are the best people in specific countries who you should be investing in mm. right to make sure that that homegrown local talent actually ignites the flame of solving problems because remember today what's so cool mm. is to solve really complex problems technology has enabled the average person in the street that you can solve problems that 20 years ago mm. only a multi-billion dollar organization could solve mm. so what that means is you literally have more and more people out there if you give them the creative tools mm they can actually help solve your societal issues mm-hmm. right and they can help generate incredible economy within within your economy they can really help flourish mm-hmm. you know the what i call the lifeblood of your economy mm-hmm. so the big question for me is within a corporate or within specific individuals how do we start to focus our attention identify where the best opportunities are who are the best people in our country mm-hmm. who we can start igniting to really bring an economic velocity where we're we're enabling our people investing in our people mm-hmm. to really solve complex problems that most governments and multinationals can't solve on their own mm-hmm. and i think the point you're bringing which mm-hmm. is great is that there is there is a much more what we call a systemic way of understanding our problems today meaning that mm-hmm. you know before you could ru- run your business in a little silo today because of technology all the boundaries are blurred mm-hmm. So we really do need to work as an ecosystem and if if me as an organization if I mess up mm. I don't just mess myself up mm. I can I can literally with one twitter feed I can collapse an entire economy mm. and I think that brings a much bigger responsibility in terms of leaders today to mm. go how do we not just solve problems and and that's a lot of work we do is we try to teach leaders do not solve problems anymore It doesn't work mm. right why because we and we call it a vuca economy mm. meaning it's a volatile uncertain complex and ambiguous market and mm. it's only going to get more complex mm. technology is only going to disrupt us more right mm. so in that market the kind of leaders we need are leaders who can handle complex problems and not just solve them but navigate entire very different stakeholders maybe you never worked with mm. before and bring different people together to really create something exceptional mm. so that's that's the great opportunity and the big challenge mm. because it can go either way right mm. well let's wrap it up dr karam in terms of the issue of how do you actually make sure that shared value is not a, a limited has a limited time span because we've been speaking about philanthropy over the over the years we've been speaking about um, csv whatever that is csi csr csr whatever it is uh, in these companies and we've seen them in our townships these companies come in there they feed our our well-fed uh, mothers and daughters and they don't know where to go to for their uh, food parcels how do you make sure that shared value is just not another thing that came along and disappeared as well because it's not really 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 relevant so as he said um there are organizations who have the assets and um the provisions to deliver a lot of good in the society and then there are actors who may have a, a big vision 
who know how to solve problems but do not have the funds or the resources to do so and i think shared value can only be provide produced if we have collaborations i think one thing that we realized working and i realized as an entrepreneur is we work in in silos as you said in small mushroom growths and we never collaborate we never find out what is it missing in our organization can be filled by a gap in others um some big organizations have started innovators coming in and taking care of problems that they cannot solve but i think collaboration between SMEs and big corporations between community level organizations and big corporations between the government between the private and the public sector uh, the private public partnership as we call it is the answer uh, to creating that share value for the ecosystem well we're going to wrap it up there thank you guys you both have been fantastic to speak to uh, dr kurman congratulations akiva man you're such a great cat i want to meet you again just give me your business card before you go I'll, i'll try i'll try not to purr okay well, this guy was supposed to be flying out and hanging out with one of the biggest entrepreneurs do you want to tell our listeners about oh, this it's too? embarrassing but okay i'll so <laughs> <laughs> just briefly i've got a second uh, left okay so 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 a mate of mine was going to go hang out with 50 of the top entrepreneurs news with Richard Branson for 6 days and <laughs> I had to make a decision today whether I fly out with him tonight and I had to say to him I'm speaking tomorrow at the shared value and he's like what kind of value do you have <laughs> so hey whatever you know well that's a good way to wrap it up thank you to both of you and uh, I thank you to our team in the background and our producers a whole lot of people in the background that are doing a great job even the studio there in Johannesburg well
Kalani, Mema Koroma.